0: the New Testament book of 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tonight I want to help you see what Peter was saying to them, that there needs to be a spirit of urgency in which we live our lives, urgency to to make the most of every day, because this day you'll never get back. Um, Every moment, every second that you spend today is a a, a moment or a second that is gone forever, that you can never get back. This urgency that God wants us to have is not an urgent of despair, urgency of despair or hopelessness, but it's an urgency that is a hopeful urgency, one that God is going to do something fresh. It's almost like a fresh wind, if you will. Just imagine a fresh wind coming over you right now as it's hot in here. Could be the fact someone turned on the fans, and we appreciate that because that was a great choice. So thank you for whoever did that. It is warm in here. But it's an urgency, this hopeful expectation that just when it gets hot, God will bring freshness. Just when we think there is no way out, God will provide for us a way. That's exactly what he did 2,000 years ago when he rose from the dead. All hope was lost. They had given up. They had become despondent. But then Jesus showed up, much to their dismay, and proved himself over and over. And since that day, the world has never been the same the spirit of urgency comes from this verse that Anka just read for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. We can look at it quickly. It says, it starts out, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, therefore do something. So this urgency the, the end of all things is near, it's approaching. What does this mean? What does it mean that the end of all things is at hand or it's near? Um, well, before we answer that question, we can just look to Friday and we can see how the end of all things can be something that we yearn for. On Friday, again, in our country, there was another school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. 17 people, or 10 people, excuse me, were murdered by a 17-year-old kid who, according to his own words, wanted people to hear his story. He wanted people to hear his story. I'll talk more, a, little bit that, a little more about that at the end. I want you to remember those words. On Friday the same day, this may be news to you, or new to you, 110 people died in Cuba as an airplane, a commercial airline, crashed. That would have been huge news all over the nation were it not for what happened in Texas. This past week there was um, bad news that some of our church people got for their family members with cancer. We have people in our church who are dealing with anxieties at work, wondering if they're going to have a job next week. We have students that are stressed out about tests. We have students that have failed tests, and they worry about the future. We have people who struggle with loneliness. There are people that are struggling with addictions. We have people that are right now in this moment, whether they're here tonight or not, some people are wondering, is it ever really going to get better? I mean, I I say that, and yeah, I believe it, but is it really going to happen? You know, these kinds of things that just seem to mount and and just upon one another and just add and add and add, they can cause you to yearn rightly for the return of Jesus, to really want to see that happen, for him to come back and just to end all of the suffering. And Peter wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. So what did he mean when he said, the end of all things is at hand, it, it's near. The, the, the term last days is used several times in the New Testament, and it doesn't mean what we may think it means at first read. But the last days, if you will, to make it simple so we can move on, uh, the last days started when Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's basically, that's, that's the gist of it. Peter wasn't alone in this understanding that the last days have started and the next thing that happens that's going to be of huge consequence will be when Christ returns and, it, and it's coming sooner than you think. In Romans, we see Paul write this in Romans chapter 13. He, he writes this towards the end of his letter. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Every day gets us closer to Jesus returning. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, the sins, and put on the armor of light. So there was this readiness, this anticipation that that Paul had in his writings as well. But he wasn't alone. The author of Hebrews, which there's debate on who wrote that, could have been Paul. I don't think it was. But it doesn't matter. The author, is that, he said this. He says in verse, uh, let me slow down for a second. You know, I'm from the South originally, and then he moved to New York and tried to talk faster. It just doesn't work. I just need to slow down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and following says this. Let us hold fast, let's hold tightly, cling tightly, the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised who is God, his God, he is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, which is what we're doing today. As is the the habit of some, they were neglecting to get together. People were already starting to say, we don't need to get together and encourage one another. The author is like, no, you have to get together regularly and encourage one another in your faith. But get together regularly, encouraging one another, and all the more... In urgency as you see the day the return of Christ drawing near now if they were that urgent then how much more urgent should we be in encouraging one another to stay strong and do not waver from the faith that we have in Christ but he wasn't alone either it wasn't Peter and Paul and the author of Hebrews alone James gets in on the action and James is the brother of half brother of Jesus and if anyone would be a skeptic to say that you were the Lord the Messiah it would be your younger brother right and so he jumps in, and he was a skeptic until the resurrection happened, but he becomes a pillar of faith in the church. And he writes the letter, uh, uh, the book we know as James, and it says, he says this in James chapter 5, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? The coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the, earth, the, uh, the early and the late rains. You, like the crops, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is what? Is at hand. Be patient. Why why do these things continue to happen? I don't know. But what I do know is that he who has made a promise to us is faithful. What I do know is to encourage you to hold fast to the truth that Jesus was dead and he rose again what i do want you to hold firm to is that while you do not understand the concept of time as god does to cuz to him a day to him is like a thousand years to us he is faithful and he will come back and he will set the world right again the return of christ is always near it's imminent the nearness or the awareness or the urgency this this understanding that we should have within us is to motivate believers to live godly lives it's to motivate us to go above and beyond even when we don't feel like it it's not to call us to get all of you get all you can while you can which is what the world says have fun while you can go to college and sow your wild oats and do whatever party hard that's what the world says But God says, no, this urgency should drive you to spend every day for the glory of God. And I have a question, what are you doing with your days? We'll start with you, I'm kidding. What are you doing with your days? How are you spending your days? Are you mindful of Christ, or is he an afterthought? You're going to see, you can follow along in your worship folders. There's an outline for the sermon. You're going to see there are seven steps to make the most of every day. Some of you are already praying that I will have a spirit of urgency in getting through all seven steps in a timely manner. I will do that. Um, You have homework, so there are seven points I'm making, and I'm going to give you homework because I think... That's, that's what I want to do. I feel like I want to do that. I feel like maybe two of you will do it, uh, but I'm hoping all of you will. But the homework will be making applications to these things to your life. So I'm not going to make applications on every one of them, but we're going to go through these quickly because I do believe these are seven steps to make the most of every day because we're going to get them right from the scripture we just read. So to, your homework is to apply these things to your life, and the second part of that is don't apply them to other people's lives. Apply them to your life. Ready? Here we go. Number one, be aware to prepare for prayer. Had to slow down for that one. I know it rhymes. I tried not to make it rhyme, but it just works, okay? Just bear with me. Be aware to prepare for prayer. What does this mean? This means you need to wake up. You need to understand that there is something going on bigger than you have the capacity to deal with, and that awareness should cause you to pray. Too many of us spend time, uh, too little time in prayer because we're too busy. Well, I just don't have time to pray. Well, that's not true. You have the same amount of time as anyone else, 24 hours a day. It's just priorities in our lives are different. No, 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 you don't understand. My job requires me to do it. I understand your job. I get it, but you have 24 hours in a day people are resilient. We will find a way to do what it is we want to do. Amen. If you can't say amen, say ouch. I get this from the Bible. So let's look here in verse chapter uh, chapter 7, chapter 4 verse 7. It says, "The end of all things is at hand; therefore, because of this urgency, I want you to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." So this awareness, this self-control, because of this urgency, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Be of reasonable mind. Be of sound mind. Be aware of what's going on around you. Do not be oblivious to what's going on. And the answer is, why should I be this way? Why should I pay attention to what's going on? Is because it will affect your prayer life. You you will not be praying for the right things. You won't be praying with the same spirit of urgency if you're not aware of what's going on. And prayer is this powerful tool of communicating with God and moving the heart of God and moving the heart of us as well. It moves us closer to Him. And it's underutilized and undervalued because of our busyness. So the first step is to be aware so that you can prepare for prayer. The second one is this. Always choose to love each other. This one's a hard one, right? Always choose to love each other. The word choose here is vitally important because we have this concept in a lot of um, movies and books that we just can't help who we fall in love with. That's, That's not true either you can totally decide who you choose to love. That that that's that's just something that we romanticize and I understand. I fell in love with my wife, that's true. She captivated me. It's a great love story. I love to tell you about it sometime, but not now. We got a lot to talk about. But I have to make a choice to love her. It's not something that just stays with you all the time. We continue to choose who it is that we love and he's saying, you've got to always choose this because choose to do this because the honeymoon will eventually be over. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. It says, above all, keep loving. There's a choice being made here. Keep loving one another earnestly. This is this real love. This is enduring love. This is the kind of love that you're going to keep earning, loving them in an earnest, real way, and you're not going to write them off just because they do something that annoys you. Why do we do this? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, unfortunately, that verse gets used in wrong ways in our world today, too. He's quoting Proverbs here that love covers a multitude of sins. And sometimes people think this means we just cover up the sin and we don't deal with the sin. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying love is enters into it and instead of covering it up it covers it it doesn't cover it up it covers it it transforms our heart so it means when I come to you and I and I confess to you dude I am really struggling with greed and all I think about is money 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 and we could talk about that and instead of you saying well don't worry about it you know God's forgiven you we can explore the depths of my heart and see why why am I so greedy why am I struggling with this And you are part of the equation to help me become more transformed, to become more and more like Christ. That's what love does. It stays engaged with the person who has the issues. Too many of us, we're fearful of having the relationship severed if people find out what we're really struggling with. But love says it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. I'm here to stay with you. And it covers it. It, it, um, It helps transform our hearts. But it also covers in this way too that instead of dwelling on your sins against me, I now release you from those. Love covers those up. I'm going to keep choosing to love you, even though you've hurt my feelings before, even though you've betrayed me in some ways before. I'm not going to choose to think about that every time I see you. I'm going to choose to love you earnestly. I'm not going to dwell on the sin but i'm going to dwell on the fact that god has loved me in such a huge way that i'm going to love you in the same way number 3 desire desire to serve one another desire is a very strong word it's a uh, it's connected to passion and serve is a very strong action as it gets us doing something that typically our hearts aren't naturally inclined to do. And he's saying, I want you to desire to serve one another. In verse 9, we read this. It says, Show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. Do the good things for one another, and if you don't have something nice to say, keep your mouth shut. I think that's what my mom's translation says, right? Do good things for one another, be hospitable to one another, do these things, do these good works without grumbling. Desire, have your, you know, you can do things because you know they're the right thing to do, but you hate the fact that you're having to do it. Maybe you're, you know, don't like cleaning your room when you were a kid, and so you just clean your room, you've got a bad attitude about it. That's better than not cleaning your room, right? But God doesn't want you just to clean your room with a grumbling attitude. He wants you to serve and be hospitable with a desire to do those things. Your heart needs to be in it. And why does our heart need to be in it? Why does God want us not to grumble? Well, I think we could tie it in easily to Jesus and just say, you know what? Jesus did the impossible for us. The sinless one, Jesus, became sin on our behalf. He took all the punishment that I deserved. He took the, the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the condemnation of God so that I didn't have to do that. He, he took the sting of death away from me. So when I really think about and focus on what Christ has done for me, it, it makes it harder for me to grumble. It makes it a lot less Uh, likely for me to to say I have to get up and I have to go do this again today it changes my heart and now I desire to go and to serve people desire to serve one another number four that will make a lot of your day right there if you desire to serve one another number four use your gifts from God to serve others use your gifts from God to serve others some of you think that you're really smart and you have a lot to do with that. Some of you think, like me, that you're really beautiful and that you have a lot to do with that. And we don't realize, as great as we are, that these things are a gift from God. All of our gifts, our strengths, are a gift from God our ability to to do well at work, our ability to to encourage people, our ability to to be good mothers and fathers, our ability to be a a faithful friend, all those things stem from the fact that God has given us gifts to use. And so it humbles us and, and it encourages us to, you know what, everything that God has given to me, I want to use to serve other people. Verse 10 is where we get this. It says, As each has received a gift use it use that gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace now we all have different giftings we all have different kinds of gifts and you may be thinking I don't know if I have gifts well that's not true every person is gifted in some way or another everyone has gifts the question is are you going to use them are you going to steward them well are you going to take what God has given you, whether it's a lot or a little, depending on how you want to define that, whatever it is that God has given you, are you going to use it for his glory to serve others? That will help you make the most of your day. Number five, speak words of God at all times. I just want to move past this one. I'd like, I don't want to dwell on this one too much. So it makes me feel guilty. Speak words of God at all times. Even when I'm late for work and the MTA is making me later. Even when someone says something about me that's not true. Speak words of God at all times. Verse 11, it starts out by saying, It says, Whoever speaks, speak as uh, as, uh, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. I think he's talking about preachers, preachers here, people that are proclaiming the good news of Christ. But the principle still applies, whether it's someone preaching like I am right now or whether you're preaching by sharing and proclaiming the good news to a co-worker or a friend. I think it just applies all the way across the board that as we speak, we should realize that the words that we speak as Christians should be words of God. They should be edifying words. Sometimes edification is rebuke, where we tell people, hey, what you did there is wrong, buddy, and we need to work on that. So it can be rebuke. It doesn't mean that you're always saying um, things that are affirming. Sometimes contradiction is how you best help help someone out. But we're to speak words of God at all times. It's applied to all Christians. Every word that we say matters. And so before you speak a word, before you type a word now on social media or a text, which is crazy how much we've changed in society, right? Like, I text my wife probably as much as I talk to her. And we're not with each other throughout the day, so that makes sense, actually. But even at home sometimes, I'll be downstairs, she'll be upstairs, we'll, we'll text each other. Those are words. And so are the words that you're using, are, are you using them? This is like a lens or a litmus test you can use to test your words. You can say, am I using these to, to promote my own agenda? Are these my words? Is this for me to feel better about me so that I can feel better? Or is this promoting God's plan for life? Is this something that's going to be edifying to him and glorifying to him? Are the words I'm using right now, am I, am I choosing them and am I saying them because I want to impress somebody, someone? Or am I doing this because I want to be pleasing to God? That one's hard for a lot of people. Is that we want people, in general, most of us want others to think well of us. And I don't think that's a a bad thing, but it it can become an idol for sure. To where we want that more than we want to say what God wants us to say. And we compromise. Speak words of God at all times. Number six. Serve in the strength of God. Serve in the strength of God. Some of you need to hear this because you're tired of being on the volunteer list at at church here every week, aren't you? And you're like, when is it going to end? As the church grows, it will come to an end, I promise. Serve in the strength of God. If you're serving by your own strength, then you're not serving the right way. If you're doing what only you need your power to do, then you need to take a step of faith today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it continued from where we were about speaking, and it says, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that who supplies? That God supplies. So there's this principle that that God wants to give us the strength. He wants to give us the capacity. He wants to give us the emotional and physical strength to accomplish whatever it is that he wants us to do. If it's your own power, then you're not serving. If, If you're serving and doing only what you can do by your power, then you're not serving by faith in God. You're serving by faith in yourself. You need to take a next step of faith. God wants to give you power to do what you couldn't do on your own. And number seven, aren't we going quickly here? Number seven, here we go. Serve, nope, I just did that one. Number seven, glorify God in all you do. Glorify God in all you do. That means what you think it means. Sometimes uh, the Bible is very clear. It means everything, and this, this is where we get it from. At the end of verse 11, it says this. So it says, speak as the oracles of God, serve in God's strength, and then it says, oh, I'll actually read the whole thing for you. It's right here. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Glorify God in all that you do. That means everything. That God wants to be glorified through Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus Christ has done through his story, not our story. We've, we've made a mess of this world since the very beginning because we've made everything about us. And we've forgotten what the creation story tells us. And there's a God who is worthy of worship. There's a God who has created. There's a God who is the supreme authority. And that we're not the center of this story. And it's not going to change until we realize that we don't have the capacity to be the center of our story. You're going to fail if you are the center of your life. It's going to fail miserably. But God wants to be glorified through the story of Jesus Christ. And to him belongs the glory. We try to come in and take the glory from from God instead of doing what God wants us to do, which is so much better anyway, such a better deal, is he wants to reflect his amazing, awesome glory through us to the world. And it belongs to him, it, and his do, the dominion belongs to him, the power belongs to him forever and ever. And when Peter writes amen here, sometimes as Christians we get into this, you know, habit of just saying words and don't really know what that means, but amen is saying truth. He's saying, what I said here, truth, or true dat, if you want to say that, that's fine. He's like, this is truth. What I am saying to you is that the, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ and Glory belongs to him. A dominion forever and ever. Truth. He says, work. Do good work. Glorify God in the work you do. Real estate. Executive assistance. Sales. Marketing. Publishing. Whatever it is that you're doing. Glorify God. Everything that you do can bring glory to him. You, as a Christian, represent God wherever you go. The church goes with you because you are the church. And when you excel in your work, when you uh, do the best you can do, you bring glory to God in your work. Everything, in your relationships, uh, the people you're dating, people, the person you're dating maybe. (laughs) I know, okay, we'll just keep going. But whoever you're in a relationship with, are you honoring the Lord in those relationships? Are you elevating Christ in your marriage? Are you elevating Christ in your relationship with your children? Children, as a father of four, I ask you this. Are you elevating Christ in the way you relate to your siblings? Grown-ups who've moved out of the nest, you can still honor your parents even if you're going a different route than you than they want you to go. Can you still, are you still honoring them? Do you still love them? Even if you're going away or do a a calling, something they don't agree with? Glorify God in everything that you do and you will make much of your day. Jesus wasn't distracted by the pressures of his day. Right now, man, it is hard, right? The, the, The world's problems are on our phones. It's too much. It really is. There, I mean, if we just sat here and went through, we would spend the, the entire day tragedy after tragedy after tragedy around the world. It's a lot of pressure throughout the world. Jesus lived, and there were a lot of pressures in his day, and it's, it's wrong of us to think that there are more pressures today than there were then. That's not true. We may deal with them differently, and we may be aware of more of them, but there were major issues. Jesus saw suffering. He saw hungry people. He saw sick people, and he worked hard to bring healing to them and to feed them and to clothe them. He poured out compassion on the outcasts of society. In fact, it's amazing how he showed value to people that the world was just throwing away. He called out the hypocrisy of the religious who honored God with their words but didn't honor God with their hearts. He prayed for his persecutors. He gave his life for his family, for his friends, and even for his enemies. And before we're too quick to put us in that family or friend category, We're in the enemy category. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus knew that he had a purpose in his life. And I had this thought this week that that when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem on his way, being cheered in by the crowds, knowing what's going to happen, knowing that there's going to be a crucifixion, knowing he's going to stand trial and die the gruesome death, In those crowds, there were people in the crowds who still needed healing. There were still sick people. He didn't heal everybody. He healed many of them, but he didn't heal all of them. So why did he walk past them? Why didn't he heal them as well? I believe the answer is that he knew what his purpose was. He knew that even if he raised them from the dead like he did his friend Lazarus, they would still eventually die. And only by living his purpose, by being the Messiah, by being the sacrifice for our sins, by being the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, only by doing that would he truly bring healing to the world. He knew he had a specific purpose in his life. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your purpose in life is? Or are you distracted by all the woes of the world and it's robbing you of the opportunity you have to worship God? Do you spend more time worrying about the woes of the world than worshiping God. Do you are you distracted so much by the woes of the world that it's paralyzing you? And you're not really doing anything much more than just talking about the woes of the world. And that's not a dig at millennials. Did you know I got accused of being a millennial recently? Yeah. I'm a generation X, you know, I, I wear that label fine, even though I look really young, I know. Um, but I got accused of being a millennial, and I, uh, I actually took it as a compliment. And so uh, to the millennials in here, welcome, this is a safe place for you. <laughs> and uh, number two, I, I, I have great hopes for that generation, for your generation, for, for you. I'm like the cool older brother, or at least the older brother. <laughs> may not be cool, but I'm like the older brother who believes in you, who will always be here, And I want to walk with you as you discover that you have the power to affect change in this world. But you're not going to do it. Generation X isn't going to do it, and the boomers aren't going to do it unless we are walking in our purpose. Are we distracted? The beautiful thing about the church is it's even got Generation Z in there now. It's got all kinds of people in it. And when we are all together as one, when we are walking in unity, when we're walking in our purpose, we're going to see things change in the world. But before it happens there, it's got to happen here. If I'm not making the most of my day, then why would I ever expect things to change out here, out there? Sometimes we're distracted And instead of thinking like the church, we start thinking more like the world. And if your purpose, remember the story of the the shooting? The guy said he let some people live because he wanted to have his story told. And that is obviously, I don't even know how to deal with that. I can't say the words I want to say because I'm preaching right now. It's that messed up that someone would do that because they want their story told. But on a much smaller scale, we can be guilty of doing the same thing. That I'm only nice to you because I want my story to be told. I'm only nice to you because I want to impress you. I only do these things for you so I can get promotion in my self-esteem or a promotion at work i'm only i'm only doing certain things because i want something from someone the the christian message is you do something because you've already gotten all that you need from christ you don't do it to get more you do it because you've already gotten everything and when that becomes your purpose to make the most of your day then your life is going to be changed and the people around you are going to take notice if you try to go around and having your story told, then you're going to make the rest of your life and the lives of those around you miserable. But your, your ultimate purpose in life is to magnify Christ, to make Him known, to magnify Him in all that you do, in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your children, in your relationship with parents, in your work, in your hobbies. Your Saturday nights need to glorify God. Your everything is to glorify Him. And the question I'll leave you with, is there an urgency? Is there an urgency in your life to make the most of every day? Is there an urgency that stirs you to pray? An urgency to make the most of Christ? Is there an urgency in you to encourage others, to serve others, to bless them? Your homework assignment is to take these steps, pray through them, apply them to your life and your life only, and then for you, to take your next step of faith. Anybody watch the royal wedding yesterday? Three? Three of you? Okay. Okay, you just didn't want to raise your hand, I get it. I didn't want to raise my hand either. Um, actually, I did not watch it, but someone posted the sermon from Bishop Curry, and I watched it yesterday, and it was really good. It was literally on fire. If you watched it, you get that. If you don't, go watch it, and then you'll get it. But it was amazing how he uh, passionately talked about love and how love can change the world, and he talked about how Christ did that. Your purpose in life today and every day is to make the most of him. The question is, The question that you have to answer for your life is are you going to take that next step? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to do the things that you know he wants you to do? Will you pray with me? Father, we are in a uh, a wonderful opportunity, uh, a wonderful time of opportunity in a world that is filled with chaos and destruction and discouragement and so many uh, woeful things that are happening, we have an opportunity to bring the light of Christ into this world. And we can either look at the world around us and be despondent by it, or we can look to the hope that is before us, which is you, Christ, and we can be encouraged by it. We can grieve with those who grieve, we can mourn with those who mourn, and Lord, we can rejoice with those who rejoice. We can live with a spirit of urgency that knows that one day, Jesus, you are going to come back and one day you will make the world fully right again. And more than ever, I do yearn for that day, Lord. And until that day comes, Lord, I pray that we would be part of a movement called your church that would surrender our hearts to you that in this moment right now, we would lay our lives down before you and say, Jesus, I am not the center of this life. I am not the Lord. It is you who is. I pray that would be our prayer and that we would take our next step of faith to go out and live with urgency, a hopeful urgency that knows that we can redeem this time and make the most of it.